May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Salah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Those are verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 20, which along with Psalm 21 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, April the 20th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at uh, the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 19 to 30. We're in the gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and then in the epistle of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. It's an interesting thing. I was, I was in the gym today and, and went in, and I've got a good friend there who um, is he's a trainer, but he's also he knows a lot about the Bible, teaches a lot, preaches in his church some. Um, it happens to be in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and, and so I was talking to him about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he said, well, oddly enough, I'm getting ready to preach a sermon about them, and so he gave me something that um, I'll, I'll share with you today that, that I think is, is really profound, and it's truly interesting, and so I'll share that within the podcast. It's mostly going to be built around what, he, what my friend Sean told me today, and so it's just, it, it, it really opened my eyes to some things. Um, so... It begins with then Nebuchadnezzar. Remember yesterday what had happened was that Nebuchadnezzar had set up a, a, a golden image, and, and it was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and, and everybody was commanded to bow down and worship it whenever they heard the music play, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not, and the Chaldeans, who were jealous because these guys had been promoted over them, um, went to the king and told the king that they weren't uh, obeying his commandments. So Nebuchadnezzar offered them the opportunity. Okay, I'll give you another opportunity. You can bow down now. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. It would be wrong for us to do that. Our God can save us from the fiery furnace that you've promised to throw people in if they won't worship it. Um, our God can save us from that. But if not, he's still God. But we're, And so we're not going to bow down. So here it begins with, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men, those three men, uh, were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. So it's like they're trying to eradicate the, them and any memory of them from the face of the earth. They put all their clothes on them and then throw them into this burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. We hear that, we read that, and we think, that's Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of the fire with them, and he has unbound them in the same way that, that he was himself unbound in the tomb. 
when the disciples came and they found the the garments that had bound him, the the burial cloths that had bound him, lying to the side. And so we see here that these men were bound in the same way so that they couldn't move. And it says they fell into the furnace. And now here they are, and they are unbound. And the fourth among them is like one of the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So he's seeing for the second time now. He's had, he's had an easy, straightforward witness about... Um, this God and these people. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads wasn't singed, their cloaks weren't harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. It's as though they had never been in the fire to begin with. And Nebuchadnezzar answered, and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel <clears throat> and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so we see in these stories of, of these exiles taken into Babylon that, that God is with them. He's not a territorial god. He is a god that wherever his people are, there he is in the midst of them. Sounds like a something Jesus said, right? When he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And here we see that very reality when Nebuchadnezzar sees four in the fire, in the furnace, um, when he knows that they only cast three in there. And so he, for the second time, has gotten a powerful witness to the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what my friend Sean told me once we read the gospel. So we're going to look at the gospel, and then I'm going to come back and pick up this piece from, from the Daniel passage. You're, you're going to hopefully be as like blown away as I was when, when he told me. And Jesus, uh, this is Luke 4, 1 to 13, full of the Holy Spirit, he's just been baptized, returned from the Jordan, and was from his baptism, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. There's three people who are noted in the Bible as having done... 40-day fasts. The first one is Moses, and he did it twice. He went up the mountain, got the um, commandments from God, and fasted those 40 days. And then God said, get out of the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy them because they've created these gods, uh, the golden calves. And Moses went down, smashed the tablets. God said, get some new tablets and bring them up here. And so he went back up the, the mountain and, and was there again 40 days without food. So uh, the second person is Elijah, who as he, after he leaves, after Jezebel threatened to kill him, when he left the land, went into the wilderness, he was provided some food. Um, and then he got up and went in the strength of that food out into further into the wilderness, into the cave, and he was there 40 days without food. So Jesus was the third person to have gone 30 days without food, or 40 days without food. The, the first two had theophanies. They had encounters with God in those times. Jesus here is 
without him, and he's being tempted by the devil, but he's out in the wilderness as well. And that's where Moses was when he fasted on Mount Sinai, and it's where Elijah was when he fasted for 40 days. And so he he ate nothing for those 40 days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Luke, all the gospel writers are clear about the the dual nature of Christ, right? They're, they're, They're clear that he was in the flesh, and he was also God at the same time. And so that he's hungry tells us that he's truly a man. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. In other words, you know, hey, you're hungry. If you need something to eat, if, if, if you really are the son of God, I mean, he's, he's questioning here who he is. I mean, he knows but at the same time, he's appealing to his relationship with the Father and, and also saying, hey, if you're who you say you are, go ahead and do something. You can do that, right? You can turn stones into bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, is he going to do something based on his own need, his desire for food, because he's hungry, or is he going to wait for the Father to tell him what that next step is. And so Jesus' response is, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time and said to him, to you I will give this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to who I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So Satan believes that he has all the kingdoms of the world in his hand. And he says, it's been delivered to me. And you can have it all if you'll just worship me. It can be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Every single answer he gives here is, is, is first going to quote Deuteronomy and the second one he's going to quote some other stuff too. But, but his, his statement here is, is that, nope, I'm going to quote scripture back at you. I'm going to rely on that. I'm not going to answer you from my own heart my own mind. I'm going to, I'm just going to quote scripture back to you. I'm going to live by the word of God. That period, end of sentence. That's the way it's going to be. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him again, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it's written. He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's going to protect you in any eventuality. You don't have anything to worry about. If you're truly the son of God, then, then he will. And Jesus answered, you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, these are the three temptations we're told about. We don't know if those are all of them. But, but what it says, remember this, he waited and departed until an opportune time. When Jesus turns and wheels on Peter, when Peter is trying to fuss at him about, hey, you're not going to be crucified. That's not the way it goes down for Messiah. Jesus turns and he says, get behind me, Satan. Because that temptation... Kingdom without suffering sounds like that second temptation. And so what happened was, was is that then the temptations come from people. It's not a direct attack on Jesus. It, 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 the temptations come through other people. Hey, do, do this. In, in John 6, what did we see a couple of weeks ago? We saw that, that people came to him and they said, hey, if you want us to believe in you, then, then you'll do what you did yesterday, right? You'll, you'll do food for us. Come on. The dance to the tune that we're playing, and you won't do that. So it again, though it was it was an, it, it was a, a temptation to to say if you're the son of God, then you'll make food for us because they said you know hey Moses did manna in the wilderness, and 
so it's it, the t- same temptations play themselves out more than once in the life of Jesus. Now, so what I want to get back to is, is my conversation with my friend Sean. Um, Seventh-day Adventism is based way more in prophetic stuff than, than most of Christianity. They're, they're way more tuned into prophetic stuff than, than the rest of us are. And so sometimes they see things because they, they, they have a different lens through which they read Scripture. It's not, and I'm, say, I'm not saying that's a wrong lens, by the way. I'm just saying it's a different way because it, it's, it's sort of like those— um, remember when I was a kid, they used to get those little kaleidoscopes, and you could turn those things, and whichever way you turned it, it changed what you saw when you looked in through the little peephole. And, it, and, and that's kind of the way I'm trying to get at this, is, is to take a prism, and, and which lens of the prism you look through uh, determines what it is you see. And what's clearest for you, and, th- and so that's kind of the, the way that they look at things, is they look, they begin with prophetic stuff, because it's, it's, it's a huge part of Seventh-day Adventism. They, they started partially um, by wrong <laughs> prophecy about the end of the world, that they believed it was going to end at a certain time, and, and it didn't, and then they believed it was going to end at a different time, and it didn't. And so, that, but prophecy is a really important part of Seventh-day Adventism. They have prophecy crusades in the fall every year, um, and it's it's a way it's it's sort of their way of doing outreach to get people to come in. Um, I, I'm not going to say anything more about that, but at any rate, so what Sean I mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to him today, and, and he said, "Oh, I'm working on a sermon on that, and and I'm going to look at that in connection with the temptations of Jesus." And so let's review really quickly here and see what he's talking about in those those temptations. So the the first thing remember when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were first there, that the king's servant brought them food from the king's table, and and they said, "We don't want that." That stuff's forbidden to us. We're not going to eat of that. We're not going to become good little Babylonians and diet. And so they said, give us vegetables and water and measure us against those people who eat that stuff and see if we don't thrive. And and they did. So when first temptation, turn bread into stone. Jesus says, no, not going to do that. Same with them. Second temptation, you can have everything if you fall down and worship me. So these guys had been promoted. They were moving forward in Babylonian, in the kingdom, and Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image and an idol for them to worship in what, well, they don't. Even though it's going to cost them, it's going to be costly to them not to do that, right? Because they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus is offered the kingdoms of the world if he'll fall down and worship, and he says no. And then finally, the uh, the temptation to, excuse me, um, the temptation, the final one about the, um, <clears throat> oh, I'm losing my mind here. <laughs> The final temptation is to to tempt God, and and they and he gives them a second opportunity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are given a second opportunity. Called in before the king, said, "If you'll do it now, then then everything will be okay." And and their response was, "No, we're not going to do that." And he said, "I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace." And, he, and they said, "Look, our our God's able to deliver us from that, but if not, he's still God." And it's the same temptations. It's the same three temptations that are offered to these three guys as are offered to Jesus in there. I had never seen that before in my life, never heard anybody even talk about it before. It's brilliant. It, it is absolutely true. And so what's the implication of that? The implication is, isn't that cool? No, it's type and anti-type, but it's also true for you. Those three kinds of temptations are going to be offered to you again and again and again all throughout your life. Do something useful. Presume on your relationship with the Father to do this, that, and the other thing. 
take this risk to prove God. Do these things. Prove your sonship by doing this. Prove you are who you are by doing this. It's, it's always the same kind of temptations. But I just thought that was a fabulous insight that he had into that passage. Now, in the epistle, John says, it's the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Because what he had said was, I give you a new commandment, even though it's an old commandment. And, and it's love one another. It's the same thing Jesus said in John 13 at the, at the night of the Passover, the night of his arrest. We should not be like Cain, John says, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, what's evil and what's righteous here? And what's righteous was Abel's sacrifice of the best of the firstborn of the flocks. Cain brought some stuff, some of the produce of the field that he had caused. And so he was angry because God accepted his brother's sacrifice and had no regard for his own. And then God warned him, hey, sin's crouching at your door. His desire is to rule over you, but you must master it. And he refused to heed the warning in the word of God, and he let his anger get ahead of him, and he ended up committing murder. He says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And so he's comparing Cain with the world and Abel with the people to whom John's writing. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So we've passed out of death and into life because of the resurrection of Jesus and faith in, in his crucifixion and his sacrifice as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we've passed from death in sin to life in Christ through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But then he says, because we love the brothers. We know that we've done this because we love the brothers. It's proof of our faith that we love the brothers. And so he's, he's holding that up and saying that this is, this proof is enough to know that we have passed from death to life. Whoever does not love abides in death. That, that it's the first mark of a Christian in some ways. He's saying you've got to love God, and then you've got to love your neighbor. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Jesus says this is first and greatest commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second's like unto it. In other words, it's, it's, it's at the same level, and it has a lot to do with, with the first one. It's to love your neighbor as yourself, because your neighbor's created in the image of God. So those two things are inextricably tied with one another. So he, he then goes on to say, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, which is exactly what Jesus says. He says, you've, you've heard it said, don't murder. I tell you that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So John's just quoting Jesus. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Your brother's dead to you at some level if you hate him. I mean, it doesn't have to play itself out in actually physically murdering them. It, they can be dead as far as you're concerned. You, they, can, they can no longer be alive to you when you're filled with hatred towards a brother. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, which is exactly what Jesus said. Greater love hath no man than this, that, that he laid down his life for his brothers. And then he says, then he says I'm your friend. And, and the reason you know I'm your friend is because I tell you everything. And so I, he willingly laid down his life for us. <clears throat> and he says, we ought to be willing to do the same. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And we saw, remember yesterday or, or day before, I can't remember which, that, um, that Jesus 
well, John, I mean, when John was baptizing, people came to him after they confessed their sins, and then they said, what shall we do now? And he says, if, if you have, anybody has two tunics or two cloaks and sees his brother has need of one, give him one. And that's exactly what John's saying here. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So if you're not loving by willing to extend yourself on behalf of your brothers, I mean, he starts with laying down, being willing to lay down our lives for our brothers, and then he gives us a more concrete explanation for what he means by that. And it means something as simple as if you have enough and somebody else doesn't have enough, give them some of what you have. It, that's laying down your life. It's it's saying that everything else I have is not that important to me. It's what we saw in the early church in the book of Acts, that people pr- pr- provided for the needs of the community out of their own funds. Whatever they had excess of, they gave it to the church, and then it got distributed to the poor. And John said, that's the way we ought to live. It's just that simple. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They loved God, and they showed that love by refusing to bow down and worship that idol, no matter that it cost them being thrown into the fiery furnace, and they were willing to lose their lives rather than obey the king and disobey their God. Jesus loves the Father, and therefore, in all the temptations that we see thrown at him, he refuses to bow down and do what anybody else asks him to do because he doesn't want to be presumptuous about that love. He trusts the Father, and he loves the Father, and the one thing that he can do that shows that love for the Father is obedience, and that obedience got him all the way to the cross, but it also is the reason that he, among all who have ever lived, is the only one who has ever been resurrected from the dead.